Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lane. And I'm your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board. And I'm reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. You did. You reminded us all. We all are Every better for it. Every time, everybody. Except last time. I had to do that because oh! you were in outer space or wherever you were. We'll get to that later. Okay. On today's show, we have Severio Semino, who is featured in today's music and expression segment led yes. by James Maple. Yes. We have a catch-up conversation. Well, I do. The royal we. <laughs> Michael Bishop, fellow blood brother and I. We catch up. You'll hear that at the end of the show today. And we have a segment from CHESS, the Comprehensive Health Education Services, better known to us in the community as CHESS. They have a new Shemophilia piece that we're going to play some audio from in just a little bit. Amy Board, we've got all that and more on today's episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. As always, thank you for joining us, listeners. <laughs> as always, all the things. Remember, if you like what you hear and you haven't already, mm. subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast. Maybe Wherever you, you get your podcast, you can listen to this podcast also on Facebook if you want to. There's a lot of places that you can do that. We are also on social media all outside of, of Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we found all of them. And we're <laughs> There. So come on and hang out with us there. And listeners, allow me to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, <laughs> where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Which is great. I think so, too. It's a great stance. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. <laughs> One more time, because it's so much fun. Bleedingdisorders.com. <laughs> and for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say... Thanks, Thanks to Kata. <laughs> yes. Amy Board, welcome back. Welcome back. We heard your voice in the last episode That's doing true. some great interviewing, but yeah. we missed you. And by we, again, me, Royal We, yeah. I missed you here in the studio. It's good to be back with right. you again. It was last week, right? Last week, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we're in one of those periods. You were somewhere, I was somewhere else. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we're here. I was in Michigan. How was that? It was great. What I, were you doing? I went to Michigan for uh, Springfest, which is the hemophilia of Michigan's uh, education weekend, which was great. We brought the Science Fair Roadshow, and it was wonderful. Wonderful to see the community back. Hello, everyone, that we were able to hang out with. And then I took a little retreat. I took a writer's retreat on Lake Michigan, on the west side of Michigan, uh, on Lake Michigan. with <laughs> too many Michigans. Michigan is very highly featured in the first five minutes of this episode. And shouts out, Michigan. It's an important state. Doesn't get enough love. Yeah. Go Pistons. Anyway, oh, gosh. Totally. For sure. Go Tigers. Um, That's more relevant right now, actually. Uh, a little bit. No. But anyway, it was, it was great. It was really good. It was a little cottage. It was very Amy-centric. Was it, wait, just you? It was just me. Oh, at first I thought there were other people, like a workshop no. thing. No, it's you in a cottage. It's me in a cottage. In Michigan. In Michigan. I like did it. I took that I took that retreat time to like see if I could do it. It was great. It was three weeks too short. 
<laughs> what uh, we haven't checked in on your writing in a while. You've been working on a book. People know that People, if they've been listening I, for a minute. Yes, I'm working on a book. I'm writing a novel. I'm on my fourth draft, Ooh. and it's yeah, it's just like plugging away. But I, I actually, when I came back from this retreat, like took a, I was like, I think I'm going to take a pause. I just needed to kind of, you know, center myself a little bit. And I woke up this morning, and I really missed it. I'm like not, mm. I, I'm not as centered if I'm not just like continuing to plug along, even if it might be slow. So it was kind of a nice little thing this morning to be like nope you just do better when you're like you know engaging in that part of your mind and that creative part so it's going it's going well what's the next milestone in in your mind i think to finish this this fourth draft it feels uh, my third draft was comprehensive, but everything was in the wrong place. Like all the reveals were in the wrong place. I'm writing who done it, and so it's it was all hmm. wrong. Everything, who did do it? I'm not telling you. Shoot. I, thought, I tried. Um, I tried. You tried. A for effort. But anyway, they were all in the wrong spot. So I did a huge, you know, reorganization type situation, and then there's rewrites in there. And um, so yeah, working on that, and then just uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. That's I'm glad we process. checked in. I was actually wondering about your writing, and this was a very natural way to bring it up yeah. here. So uh, happy to hear about that process. We um, There hasn't been, I don't think there has been, maybe I'm wrong. You can let us know, mailbag at blakestreammedia.com. <laughs> I don't think there's been uh, like jaw slack kind of news stories coming out through the community in the last couple few weeks. I don't think yeah. there's anything like a particular you know, banner worthiness. Except maybe that, and I don't even have my notes up. So uh, this is this is layman's Uh-oh. this is layman's talk Off here, y'all. Concizumab, which was a antibody, I believe a monoclonal antibody, mm-hmm. being investigated by Novo Nordisk, that um, would be something that could treat hemophilia A or B, I believe, with or without inhibitors. Uh, not the same thing as Hemlibra, but sort of a um, an iteration or a related kind of different product class, same, I'm not even sure. Again, no notes. Uh, but the FDA uh, just requested more information um, from Novo and did not approve the application to the FDA as it stood, which is notable because this, we, you know, Hemlibra's had a huge impact on the community, right. especially for people with hemophilia A who, had, who have inhibitors. Um, I've had conversations with you know, folks who fit into that category that have felt spiritual to me in the way their lives have changed. And that's just me talking. Um, and this is for hemophilia A or B, or the way B. it works, uh, with or without inhibitors. You had Dr. Young on to talk about fetusaran, amongst other things recently. Again, another drug A or B with or without inhibitors, but in particular for people with hemophilia B and inhibitors, right. like Michael Bishop. There's a little tease for the segment at the end of the show. Hey. Uh, these therapies are particularly notable. Right. So the fact that concizumab has at the very least been delayed because the FDA wasn't satisfied with the application that was submitted means that a treatment option that you know may have been on the market sooner uh, won't be if if at all. If at all. I'm not huh. trying to forecast that it's yeah. its demise. It's just yeah. you know we're at a we're at a fork in the road kind of moment for it. Felt worth bringing up. I feel super ignorant that I haven't really heard of this one. And like, I thought I was in the know. You know, it's funny because I feel as though there was a period of 18 months, two, two and a half years ago, maybe longer, I don't know, 
where concizumab's name was coming up a lot. Yeah. And at least in the circles that I was in or what I was up to, I was hearing about it quite a bit. Like, hey, this may even last in the system longer than Hemlibra. It's A or B. Like, this could be the the next thing that Hemlibra helps set the pep. But, you know, and maybe, maybe still. Hmm. But I have not heard as much discussion of it in the last year or two. And then it kind of struck me when I just like found that headline. Interesting. Uh, I was like, oh, I didn't even realize they had submitted an application. Yeah, I missed I that. Novo as a company, I think, is generally a little more conservative. Right. So other companies may make more of an effort to get PR out there, right. PR that gets picked up That's by true. other outlets and turns That's into true. new. I don't think Novo takes those measures. So yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of, I wasn't even necessarily intending to bring this up, but. No, it's interesting. Maybe we could get somebody on to talk about it, just see a little yeah. bit about what it, what it, does I'd be interested to hear what um, listeners thought about Dr. Guy Young talking about Fetusaran. Um Yeah, if you guys have any thoughts or comments or whatever, it would just be interesting to hear. And then, of course, um, you know, kind of the um, hallmark every year that we as a community um, get together and, you know, educate, learn what's happening, you know, in terms of our treatment uh, pipelines. Uh, The Bleeding Disorder Conference, um, NHF's big conference is coming up here in August. So we, of course, will be there and... um, do they have? I, I think they do have virtual options, don't they? For some of them, or not I this year. I don't know if they do. Is it just in person? You know, as you say it out loud, I'd, I'd be a little surprised. Yeah, I guess if it was me just too. in person. Yeah, but I it may be. I'm not actually sure. Good question. Let's find that out, and we'll yeah. talk about that on the yeah. next episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and we'll yeah we'll report back. But uh, hemophilia.org, if you do want to look into the Bleeding Disorders Conference, uh, particularly if you're one of the people out there who's been waiting on one of these investigational yes. therapies would like more information you Great know the pro- yeah like people like Do- dr young who are investigators in trials like for two mm-hmm. are there present they're doing presentations they're available to come up to them afterwards and talk yeah. so uh and it's in dc so if you're somebody who you know lives in the northeast and you didn't want to have to make the travel down to florida or texas or the west coast <laughs> yeah. the last few years yeah uh that it's been live anyway it is in D.C., so there's maybe an, another option for Good you. Good call. Good call. Uh, all right. Let us keep it moving. I mentioned Michael Bishop coming later. We got uh, Severio is the featured person from the community in our music and expression segment with James. But first, we have our Shemophilia segment from Chess. Yes. Listeners, you've heard us talk along these lines before. Women have remained some of the most marginalized members of the bleeding disorders community, despite reporting similar symptoms to their male counterparts. However, meaningful changes on the horizon and projects like Shemophilia, presented by the Chess Foundation, aim to ensure that the voices of women and girls are consistently heard to create substantive change in diagnosis, treatment, and care. In this next segment, we'll be hearing from a woman named Shelley who talks about her life before she was diagnosed with a bleeding disorder. Let's take a listen. Well, growing up, I used to always have to go to the emergency room Weekly, my parents would take me at least two or three times a week, and they would have to cauterize my nose because it would bleed so much. And I remember that they would take this cloth and put it in boiling hot water, and then they would shove it up my nose to stop the bleeding. And after a while, it just became regular. And it's interesting because, you know, you don't really think anything's wrong with you because they don't ask you questions. They don't diagnose you. You just keep going back and going back, and they keep repeating the same thing to make it the bleeding stop. And like I said, after Matthew was born, then I realized, wait a second, when I had him, I had a C-section. 
and they couldn't stop me from bleeding. They literally had to turn me upside down to keep the blood inside of me until they could figure out what to give me to stop my bleeding. And at that point, um, when Matthew was then diagnosed with hemophilia, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I bet you that I have hemophilia. This all makes sense now. All the bleeding that I had, all the bruising. Um, when the boys, I have two sons, and when they were growing up, they were very active in sports. If I had my period during a time that they had a game, I couldn't even go to their games because I would be afraid that I would have an accident and I'd have to come home and change. What happened when you first visited a healthcare professional? Well, the interesting thing is, is that I went to a treatment center in um, the state that I live in, in California. I went with a friend of mine and I had been diagnosed by my son's hematologist prior to this visit. And that hematologist happened to retire from the hospital. So I went back in for an annual visit. And when I went in, they actually looked at me and said to me, you know, we're sorry, but, um, you know, you don't have a bleeding disorder. And I'm like, wait a second, I was diagnosed with a bleeding disorder. And they were like, well, that doctor no longer works here. And we have to go off what our results show. And our results show that you don't have a bleeding disorder. So after that, um, I advocated for myself and through different resources um, and groups that I belong to, I heard that there was a doctor in the state of Nevada that treated women with bleeding disorders. So I made a visit, made an appointment, went up for a visit and um, got my diagnosis up there. All right. And there you have Shelly, at least a portion of her story from Chess's Shemophilia Project. Uh, Amy and I just listened to mm -hmm. that segment for the first time ourselves. Amy, what's your first reaction? Well, I, I'm just so pleased that these stories are being told because, unfortunately, I just don't think – I mean, this just feels like a very common story in our community and not to dismiss it, but just to, um, you know, realize that this is this is a, you know, systemic – thing that, you know, women have just assumed that this is normal for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's changing the way that we um, view women and our symptoms and what the treatment should be. Um, it's being able to um, trust our medical professionals, um, to find a, a medical professional that will listen to us and take us seriously. That is something that is extremely difficult and sometimes takes multiple steps. And it's, it's difficult. Um, I think there's also like a feeling of, um, you know, relief, understanding like, oh, this is why this mm -hmm. is this is why this makes sense. Um, but there is just that, you know, that, you know, maze of the healthcare system, you know, to, to just navigate through. Um, anyway, I, I just l listening, listening to her, it was like, yes, 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 yes. I found myself very quickly frustrated mm. because, as you said, Amy, we hear stories like this all the time, all the time. And to not hear them or to hide from them or to get sick of them, you know, and I, I say that respectfully, just mm -hmm. like to be like, oh, my God, still like why? But it, it doesn't mean they're not ha true. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It's it. This is a systemic historical problem. And unfortunately, like someone going to the ER two, three times a week to have their nose cauterized. Are you kidding? I, I think the part of Shelley's short story there in particular though that gets under my skin is a lack of curiosity 
on the medical yeah. providers to these kids coming in two, three times a week to have their nose cauterized. Yeah. No one's curious about this. Yeah. No one's investigating yeah. beyond the symptom and the crisis of the moment. Because she's a girl. How many times have you heard a story of a boy with hemophilia yeah. needing his nose cauterized for weeks, two, three times a day, weeks, months, years, yes. and it takes 27 years for that boy to be diagnosed? Not to say it doesn't happen, Yeah. but it does not happen nearly at the same frequency. So we have to drill into the minds of hematologists and primary healthcare providers and dentists and gynecologists that women have bleeding disorders and that they are largely undiagnosed. So I'm glad to your point, Amy, bringing it to a productive place that chess, amongst other organizations, we talked with Ashley Gregory not too long ago about FAIR, this new yes. initiative for women as well. Like we need all of this. Um, chess.education is where you can go listeners if you want to learn more to support chess's program for women with bleeding disorders if you want to look into or attend a chess event for individuals and families in the inhibitor community mm. you can simply get in touch with them via chess.education so www.chess just one s in chess chess.education for more and thank you to the leadership at chess for sharing that audio with us. Yes. And thank you, Shelly, and to all the women who shared as part of their program for putting your stories out there so that hopefully more women do the same and more providers start to recognize, wow, there's something here that we have to address. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, let's turn our attention now to Severio, a young person from the bleeding disorders community who participated in uh, our Breaking Through project and also recently met with James Maple for our music and expression segment. That's coming up right now. I just want to scream and shout If I could turn back time Hey, Bloodstream audience, it's your new best friend, James Maple, here with this week's Music Spotlight. Last week, we heard from Drama About Breaking Through, a filmmaking workshop featuring scenes written and directed by workshop participants telling their story as only they can in the way that came naturally to them. Please check it out. We'll put links to Breaking Through and today's Music Spotlight in the show notes below. You know, as I was watching Breaking Through, I noticed that many of the cast members were musicians, so I made some calls and got in contact with all the right people. And this week's music segment, we are spotlighting a fellow community member, per usual, friend to the podcast, Severe Hemophilia B Blood Brother, up-and-coming musician, and cast member of Breaking Through, Severio Cimino. Now, overall, I try my best to come up with a theme to these music segments. What moves me? What words of wisdom can I bestow to you all as we lead into our next discussion on community-based music? After some thinking, this week's music segment is about identity and eclectic expression within that. Moreover, finding the inspiration that comes to you naturally. And I think Severio describes this really, really well. Let's give it a listen. The importance of identity as it relates to music means to me that I'm able to implement my own life experiences and my emotions into a, well, song format. When I was in high school, I used to write a lot of poetry, and then that just evolved into me putting that poetry to music and, well, to songs. Now, in my pre-interview with Severio, he was rather, let's say, conflicted on what music he wanted to present first. 
He was unsure about how he wanted to showcase his talent, what genre best described him. So we landed on two tracks from both of his musical personas. First is Sav Chimino, a more chill pop influence iteration. And his second, a rock-centered alias called Ario Mede, which we'll hear in the lead out to this segment. Now, that led me to think about the complexity of what it means to be alive, specifically alive with a rare disease. We all aren't some singular thing defined by a condition of circumstances. We are frankly diverse. We present and express ourselves very differently and differently at different times at that. And again, that is okay. That is eclectic expression. And who knows, you may feel quite free in doing so. I do perform a lot of different genres when I create music. I keep my Sav Chimino personality just open to whatever idea flows into my head. And the Ario Mayday as a rock and roll personality, it's a lot easier for me to see Ario Mayday as a personality that I'm able to pour that creative energy into rather than Sav Chimino, which is just who I am. So I find using the single genre not limiting and rather freeing for myself. Lastly, as we end this segment with Ario Mayday, a.k.a. Sav Chimino, a.k.a. Savario Chimino, all the same person, his song Midnight Drive, I have a final thought, a challenge even. As we look inward, I want to caution us all not to ignore the outward expressions that exist and can motivate us. Other feelings, other notions, other perspectives and other people who can define who we are. Turn to the community. Turn to others as you express yourself. You'll be surprised at what moves you, what shapes you, what or who helps you eclectically create. Midnight Drive is a little happier. I got the inspiration for this one listening to my friend Joseph talk about how he likes driving his car really fast, in case you couldn't tell. I had also just been dying to write a song about him because he'd always been there for me whenever I needed him. And it's almost like a tribute in that sense. Until next time, I'm James Maple, your favorite bloodstream correspondent, reminding you to keep vibing. And no matter where the road takes you, enjoy your own midnight drive. Until next time. Bye. Thank you, James, for that fantastic segment. And next, we have Patrick's conversation, his catch up with our dear friend, Michael Bishop. Looking forward to hearing this. All right. Joining me now, blood brother, Michael Bishop, wearing my favorite shirt I've seen all day, all week, all (laughs) month, all year. I don't know. Up for debate. You'll have to be watching on video to see what I'm talking about. Michael Bishop, how are you? I'm great. How are you, man? (laughs) I'm doing really well. Thanks for agreeing to do this with me. You know, I was just saying to you off mic. Um, I'm just here to check in with you, to talk to you. It's been a minute since we saw each other, I think, last year at HFA. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're only able to connect and, and communicate briefly then. So today, unlike a lot of the interviews that we're doing on Bloodstream, there's not an agenda. There's not a headline. There's not a topic. This is two guys with hemophilia just checking in <laughs> with each other. That's what this is. 
I love that. That makes me feel so special. I like. <laughs> there's, there's no agenda. I'm just cool enough to to warrant an interview by itself. Yeah, I know we can just talk. <laughs> so let's talk. What's give us the state sure. of the union for you? What's kind of going on in your life right now? You know, May 2023. Well, I'm in. I'm in kind of a weird place right now. I'm waiting for a knee replacement, uh, oh. which I I've known has been coming for a long time. Uh, there, my orthopedic surgeon has been talking about it since I was like 13 or something. Yeah. Uh, and I just tried to put that off as, as long as I could. Um, hey, real quick, you mind sharing your diagnosis for those who aren't familiar? I shouldn't uh, take that for granted. Of course. Uh, yeah. So I have a severe hemophilia B with an anaphylactic allergy to factor nine products. And so kind of just treated like an inhibitor that won't ever go away. I'll just use bypassing agents and have my whole life, uh, which means no profi which isn't great for a severe hemophiliac. So that's, it's led to a lot of bleeds and joint damage and hence, hence the knee replacement. Uh, and I took a job last year that required a lot more travel than I was used to. And that mm -hmm. kind of pushed the issue of, Oh, this knee isn't, isn't working anymore. It's, yeah. It's, travel can really bring a joint, a weight bearing, especially joint issue right into the forefront. Yep. Totally. And, and it just got worse and worse. Uh, chronically, you know, I was not bouncing back after bleeds as much as I had been in the past. Hmm. And so now I'm just at the point where I had to leave that job because that was not sustainable and um, saved up a bit of money from it though. And so now I'm just working on creative stuff and waiting for my orthopedic surgeon and my hematologist to finish arguing about where my knee surgery is going to happen. And then, so and that's then I what it is. Back. It's a matter of the yeah. location at this point. It is. Yeah. Cause the, the hematologist is like, I really want him here. He's a complicated case. And the surgeon's like, I want him at my place. Cause I got all my, all my people there. He's a complicated case. And so they're, <laughs> they're going back and forth right now. And I'm, I'm waiting for that resolution, which I think will happen within the next month or so. Okay. All right. And then uh, if all goes according to that plan, when do you think you're getting that surgery? Probably in August. I think it'll be like after they decide that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle that needs to be laid into place and then hoping to turn it around really quickly. And thankfully, my like lease was up as well when I was deciding that that job wasn't going to work out. And so I moved back in with my mother and I'm helping her with with everything nice. she's got going on now. And so at least I'm in, I'm in like a really good place to, to have a surgery like that and to take time to recover. And so I feel, I feel good about that at least. You know, as you're talking that through, it reminds me that this idea of transitions doesn't go away when we become a young adult or like get a first job. You know, I, maybe it's sure. just me. I'm definitely guilty of thinking about transitions with regard to hemophilia anyway. And I guess kind of in life in general as being like a process that sort of ends once you're, situated in young adulthood but in fact yeah. like no as long as you're alive you're gonna have transitions <laughs> every so many weeks months years like it's yeah just part of life right yeah and it's hard sometimes because those transitions might not look like you wanted them to you know like move, <laughs> moving back in with folks could could feel like a, a huge step back and i was like been there you know i i went through all of those nice milestones throughout my 20s and you know like the salary was going up the apartments got nicer that kind of stuff and and so anything that that wasn't that very clear next evolution of that just felt a little oh i don't you know this feels like a a misstep or like i'm i'm going backwards but yeah um but thankfully i've i've talked to some friends about it and 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 feel really good about that but you're you're absolutely right those transitions can be even harder in that way and and sometimes they're difficult to accept, but in hemophilia, you're always, 
always making concessions, you know, always feeling like you're transitioning from from bleed to being healthy or from uh, abandoning this activity for another one or something. And so I think I think we're we're pretty used to it. Now, from a recovery from surgery standpoint, and especially given, you know, your case in particular, um, have you lined up like, will your mom be a key part of that team? What are you what are you anticipating in terms of recovery and support system? Yeah, I, I think she definitely will be. And unfortunately, I, I, my orthopedic surgeon is very confident about it, but of course he is, you know, so like I've, right. I'm taking that with a grain of salt because I um, I dislocated my kneecap when I was nine and had to have a, a patella realignment surgery during that time. And obviously that caused a lot of bleeding issues and that was a nightmare. And so I haven't been able mm. to uh, bend or straighten my knee fully ever since then. And, mm. and I'm 30 now. And so it's been quite a while. And I was like five, two when that happened and I'm six, one now. And so I, I know all those muscles have kind of developed in an interesting way. And I don't know exactly what recovery is going to look like until it happens. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is why I put off the surgery for so long. I was like, it's just, there's so much up in the air. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it until I needed to do it. And it just feels like, you know, I wake up every day and I'm like, all right, just throw me, throw me in there. Just give me a new knee. We'll see what happens. Listeners have heard me talk about my ankle situation. And for the last year and a half, you know, exploring different interventions and thinking, do I, am I getting a replacement, a fusion, oh, a debrisment and a bone spur removal and steroid <laughs> shots, but that's not doing the whole thing. And so, yeah, regular listeners to this have been hearing me kind of speak similarly about delaying it until it's become clear that, you know, for me, it became clear that something had to give at the end of 2021, like something had to change. And so I started this path and I'm still just trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do now? What's the least invasive, most pound for pound, (laughs) bang for my buck option in front of me next? Let's try that. How's that going? You know, and just try to, that's, but like you said, that's just part of our life, right? That's just part of yeah. what it means to live with this thing effectively is having to sort through these kinds of transitions in physical yes. health and 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 surgeries and, and stuff like that. That's part of it. Yeah, totally. And and I've been focusing more on the mind-body connection too. And like I started therapy for the first time in my life uh, about six months ago. And, ah. you know, I, I just, after I, I left uh, my last job and knew I was going to take some time to just be with myself and work on creative things and do what I wanted to do, I thought, okay, going to get the body right. This I feel like I'm in a good position for that surgery, but also take this time and, and be able to make therapy appointments any time of day I want to or or whatever and and really, really focus on that. And that that's also been helping me cope through through this transition in particular, but also just kind of in general as as someone who experiences a lot of that as someone with hemophilia for sure that's cool to hear is there a top takeaway so far from your first say six months in therapy um i've i've been working through a lot of like familial stuff which i find to be an interesting connection as far as genetics hemophilia being Mm -hmm. a genetic disorder like genetics really pop out to me as a topic of conversation whether that's like inherited traits but also characteristics and and you know, just uh, my thinking around things or or uh, a proclivity for addiction or or whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. I, I've kind of been really focusing on, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. And so I kind of ignored our connection. And mm. in the last six months, I've been exploring that, even though it's, it's without him because he's passed, but I've been exploring that more and more. And it's helping me feel a little more rooted, I guess. I, I just mm. never felt like, uh, 
my, the history of my family was worth looking back on because he, he certainly didn't either. And, and so he never talked about his family, but as I, as I think about, uh, like I said, our inherited characteristics and also this big thing, the biggest part of my life, hemophilia is also an inherited thing. It's that's, that's really been something I've been exploring recently in therapy. I have also found since having a kid, I've had the experience I think a lot of people have at different stages of life where they're like, oh, I'm becoming my parent. You know, there's ways yeah, in which, sure. <laughs> and when it, you know, as far as my dad goes in parenting, there are definitely ways in which I do not want to be repeating yeah. the same steps, but I see myself doing things in those lanes and going like, yeah. oh, okay, this is, this is something to pay attention to. Like, this is a force stronger than my willpower. This is something historic. This is something genetic. This is something ingrained in me from a young age. This is something powerful that I have to contend with. I can't just pretend it doesn't exist. So I, I hear everything you're saying, and it's it's for me since having Vivian compounded, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes total sense. And I saw that in my father uh, growing up because I, I could tell that he was reflecting on the way his father treated him and, and how that, that all uh, in, informed his parenting and like he made mistakes, but made sure they certainly weren't the same mistakes his father made. And, and so uh, that, that's very interesting to hear from, from a father's perspective. When did your father pass? He passed in 2018. Yeah. 20, January of 2018. Was it sudden? It was, it was sudden. Yes. He, but he didn't go to the doctor or anything. So if uh, it was, um, I think the cause of death was, uh, ruled to be alcoholic cardiomyopathy. He was a very mm -hmm. heavy drinker. And, um, like I said, did not go to the doctor and he was a big, do not resuscitate, do not intubate. Uh, and just had a, um, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't think it was a heart attack, but some, some fancy doctor word for, for an episode <laughs> in his heart and, and, and passed away that way. So it was, it was very sudden. Yeah. No, I, I'm sorry, man. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, um, in a space where you can reflect on that and with a professional, um, you know, kind of sift through what you need to as it relates to your relationship to your dad, your relationship to yourself now, and just life in general. So um, huge proponent and fan of therapy and things that make our mental health stronger and appreciate hearing what you're doing right now. That's cool. That's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's and I've always been a huge proponent of therapy. I've known it was wonderful, but just never took the steps to actually go consistently myself. And I got to say, if you're one of those people who like believes in it, but doesn't feel feel like you're ready to go all the time. Just just try to find a therapist you like and, you know, you can do it monthly or over Zoom or whatever. But it it's everyone I think could be helped by by having a nice therapist to talk to. Now, what are you doing in the creative world? You've mentioned a couple of times you've had opportunities now to spend some more time with your creative side. What's going on there? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing a couple things. Um, the the surgery, admittedly, and like figuring myself out has has kind of stifled the the motivation for a little while, but I'm back at it now. I have a, a podcast with my ex-girlfriend that I do every week that I, I very much love doing called My Ex and I. Um, and that's just kind of a comedy slice of life podcast because my ex-girlfriend is my best friend, which is uh, a little abnormal and we wanted to capture that relationship. Um, doing a bit of writing though and, and illustrating, I do like little um, diary comics and things like that and making some music and yeah, doing doing all the things I learned to do as a kid when I couldn't walk, and just you know, seeing if I can get a project out of one of them. You know, that's cool. I uh, something comes to mind, but I don't know that I know what a diary comic is. What is a diary comic? So a, it's um basically just just like your your standard comic book, but it's autobiographical, and uh, it's 
it's kind of meant to be little slices of life that are uh, as often mundane as they are profound. And you're, you know, you're just trying to capture a, a little bit of, of everything as you're moving through it. The, the goal, I think, um, typically with a diary comic is to do it every day and just see, see where it goes and see what, what you find in that when you make yourself sit down and, and write something every day and illustrate something every day. Um, and so I'm hoping at the end of it to have like a little zine or a little, you know, mm. a, a, a little graphic novel of these, these diary comics for the past year or so. All right. Well, if you get to that stage, I want one. Okay. Yeah, of course. Of course. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Um, maybe as a last topic for us to talk about, you know, we had Dr. Young on uh, recently last month about to talk about Fatusaran because it is something oh. that is coming soon and mm. it is a non-factory replacement therapy, but unlike those, or I guess that, which is currently available with... Um, uh, emicizumab and putting gene therapy in a different category. Fetusaran's unique, A or B, with or without inhibitors. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dr. Young talked with us about the science and the medical and the clinical and the stuff. But as somebody with hemophilia B who has had an immunological response and does not respond to traditional factor replacement therapy, you know, you're one of the people when I think about Fetusaran, just speaking like really openly, that come to mind from my life who I'm like, yeah, this dude, like this is one of the people <laughs> that this drug is being made for. In my, this is me talking. Um, yeah. What's your take? Do you feel that way? Are you excited by what might be coming? Like, I'm. I, we haven't actually talked about this. I've just projected onto you yeah. what you might be thinking no. about. So <laughs> let me hear from you. What are you thinking about with it when it comes to Fetusaran? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that that has been uh, a drug that I followed for a really long time in its, in its clinical trial phases and have been very excited about for I guess years at this point. Um, I think you're right. It is like exactly for me. It is, it is, uh, I think the, the drug more than anything that I've kind of held out hope for a little bit. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm very excited. I tried to get on some clinical trials, but I, I believe, I believe the allergy was, was an issue. And I also technically have factor five Leiden, which makes you prone to clotting. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, I think they didn't want me in the studies for, for that reason, of, yeah. of course, but, um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a drug that I I know uh, another hemophiliac who has my exact diagnosis who did get on the clinical trial and it radically changed his life. He he has done amazingly on it um, and for for quite a while now. And so it is I, I'm very, very, very excited. I think, you know, new science always excites me. But throughout my whole life, the new hemophilia sciences have never particularly been relevant to me. Sure. Uh, and so this one, this one is like a nice change of pace in that regard. And I, I'm excited to, to, uh, to try it out as soon as I can. Well, let's make a commitment here to check back in maybe sometime this fall. Uh, if, especially if the surgery goes ahead, maybe we can check in with you while you're recuperating and laid up a little bit. If the mic is close enough, you can just pull it over to your chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it's going dip in there. And we, there might be more to talk about with regard to, wherever Fatusaran is in its uh, trajectory by that point, or maybe there'll be something else on the the treatment or care landscape for us to talk about then. So uh, if we don't talk before that, at least on mic, Michael, let's make a, a tentative plan to check back in this fall and see how you're doing. That sounds really good. And I might have a graphic novel to, to sell. So any airtime I can get, I would appreciate it. Yeah, let's talk about that. In the meantime, my ex and I will have a link in the program notes. You can go hear Michael and his ex <laughs> talk to each other in a podcast that they put into the world publicly. Uh, publicly, yeah. An and, hour a week. And it's as raw as it sounds. So, so yes. go, go listen and enjoy. And Michael, man, I appreciate your time. Good to see you. Thanks for talking with me for a bit.
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you, Michael. And thanks as well to Severio, James, Shelley, Chess, and the Shemophilia contributors. Thanks to the production support here at Bloodstream Media Believe Limited. Amy, thank you. I mean, we couldn't thanks. do this without you. Right back at you. Uh, no episode of the podcast would be possible either without, of course, our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Mm-hmm. Visit bleedingdisorders.com <laughs> to learn more. Amy, Bloodstream will be back again on June 9th. We're going into the month of June because that's a month's work. But still, what can listeners expect to hear on June 9th? We have a great interview. James actually did an interview with an organization called Sing Me a Story. Hmm. And this organization uh, works with songwriters to take um, the stories that are written by children who are affected by rare and chronic diseases um, to help bring their stories to life through song. And it is is a cool organization, very much up James's um, alley. And it's just, it's cool. So maybe some of you listeners will get some inklings of maybe how to utilize them a little bit, but they're really cool. So if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Bloodstream so you can get that episode and all episodes the moment they go live. Of course, share these episodes, tell your friends, tell everybody you know, spread the word about Bloodstream. And if you want to learn more about casting or storytelling opportunities that Bloodstream and Believe Limited have to offer, email us mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. With that, that is all for this episode. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, June 9th, (laughs) take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.